We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good? Yeah, I agree with that. It's players only. Players lounge, players only show. 6 p.m. left. Him and his crew. I'll be here. 6 p.m. Central. Talking about the season and digging deep on topics that interest you, Notre Dame fans. Players lounge this morning. And we're pleased to welcome one of the brothers of the Notre Dame Brotherhood. He's been on the show before. Wide receiver, probably known for that uh, moss he did against Michigan back in the day. Wide receiver Chris Fink joins us on the Lucky Lefty podcast. Good morning, bro. How you feeling? Sean Malik, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, the Slippery Fox. Slippery Fox, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Cam McDaniel is going to join us as well. Shortly, you know, Cam is on some type of business call, international call or something. Always talking about a new oh. way to form ACLs and knees or something like that. What's happening to him when he joins us? But overall, just your thoughts on what we saw Saturday night, Chris. Um, yeah, Saturday night was a bummer. Obviously, you spend your whole season looking forward to that USC game. You know, they take them one at a time, but you always know it's at the end, especially watching USC be so good this year. Um, no one's gonna shape up to be a fun one at their place. Um so yeah, definitely disappointing to see the outcome. I mean, I think there were some good things um, for a long time. Looked like, you know, as an optimistic fan watching, just I'll get one stop here, get one score here, like we're right back in it, but just never piece it together. And um, I mean, hats off to them. They have a really good team this year, and and they did a lot of good things against us. So, see, they gotta get, go ahead. They gotta get, you they give do. it to them. They got a good team this they year. I mean, this good. is. The first win in what eight matchups, so you know, yeah, you guys did the job. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's still trying to throw shade. Look, Notre Dame was going for five in a row against USC. They come up short. And what stood out to me was what Marcus Freeman kind of pointed out, that with everything that went against Notre Dame, Tariq Bracey being out, Cam Hart being out, uh, having to star Mickey as a true freshman, they had two starting freshmen at cornerback. The yeah. one in their game against Caleb Williams. That's, that's a tough task to ask. If at your full uh, representation in the secondary, that's still a tough matchup. And to go with two freshmen starting at cornerback against Caleb Williams, who's probably going to end up being the Heisman Award winner, uh, that's a tough ask. And Marcus Freeman, we can go to this right quick. Marcus Freeman kind of talked about, you know, missing those two guys. And listen to what he said as far as missing these two guys and what it meant. You know, especially Cam at the field corner, you know, Jaden Mickey, um, young, talented football player, but, you know, it's hard to come in and uh, start your first game of the year versus, you know, USC in an explosive offense, but he played his heart out. Um, but you miss those two guys. They're valuable members of the defense. Look, the secondary defensively, I think each level has played at some point a little inconsistent. The secondary for me defensively was the biggest surprise this year. The emergence of Benjamin Morrison as a true freshman. We saw the play on the back end become much better. We saw uh, Houston Griffith and DJ Brown have much better seasons, but pretty much their best seasons they've had at safety. We see the emergence of Xavier Watts over the last three games at the safety position. Ramon Henderson coming back from his injury, getting back into the mix. Uh, Brandon Joseph maybe had a two, three-game stretch where you really saw him playing good. And then all of a sudden after that injury, I don't know if he just kind of like put it in neutral because he's trying to go to the next level. That's that's debatable, you know, what fans might have seen. 
But it just really points out that Notre Dame is at a level right now to where you can't afford to lose those type of guys because they don't have the depth quite yet that Marcus Freeman is trying to build with the 23 and 24 classes. They're sitting on 25 commits right now in 23. And more than likely, they're going to end up with 27. Right. So now you're talking about the added depth that next year's team will have in comparison to this year to be able to be able to maybe survive, you know, missing two of your top three corners. But with all of that being said, it was a winnable game. That's my point. Like what you pointed out, Chris, not getting the stops that you needed. Uh, I thought Lincoln Riley was genius on Saturday night, right? Because it wasn't about play calling. It wasn't about the run game. Lincoln Riley made it known to his coaches and his players. I'm not about to be Tony Dungeon and kick off to Devin Hester to start right. the Super Bowl. Brian Mason and his team, his unit, they're not seeing the field. We're pooch punting all night. I'm not giving Notre Dame's best unit a chance to change this yeah. game or make a game-changing play. We're going to pooch punt all night. They ended up doing – it was just – Lincoln Riley, in my opinion, he takes a lot of heat for his coaching ability, but I think he proved on Saturday night. Not only does he, does he have a good quarterback and a good team, he's a pretty darn good coach. And all of those things that were matched up against Notre Dame – they still had a chance to win that game. That's what's so upsetting. It was a winnable game. It was a winnable game, and they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, it's tough to watch because we were on edge. You know, the highlights kind of mask over the fact that we were still should have won, could have won, you know. So I think it is good that Notre Dame's still relevant, man. We're, we're relevant when it matters in the end of the season. And I think that stands, even at an eight and four record, as an important value to what we have on this team, is that even a, a Heisman potential winner himself really wanted to beat us. <laughs> so it means a lot that we're uh, we keeping rent in everybody in college football's head that even at an eight and four season, we still can ruin your season and be on the verge of uh, always being outside getting in. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun to ruin their season. I mean, and especially the thing I think about with, um, you know, obviously the week one loss to Ohio State was disappointing, but played a close game and things were looking, you know, still okay after that one, you know. The, yeah. the goal is in sight, national championship, and Notre Dame not playing in a conference, that's really the only goal um, that you set before season. I mean, obviously, uh, like when I was there, we would set smaller goals, like, you know, win the rivalry games, win every game at home, that kind of thing. But really all that is, it's just steps to get into national championship. So um, when you lose to Marshall and it kind of uh, puts the vibe out like that, that goal is now unachievable so early in the season. Um, I think the team did a really good job of getting it together and still winning big games, like beating Clemson, beating Syracuse, going on that little run they did there towards the end and would have been nice to beat USC as well. But um, – you know, it speaks a lot to the mental fortitude of the team and the program that Coach Freeman's trying to build with um, a lot of guys would, would see the end goal is, is dead and, you know, what's the point anymore um, across the country, I think. So I think it was uh, really a testament to the guys and the team being able to pull it together, at least 
in in places throughout the season and, and still um, play really hard and win big games. Lucky Lucky Podcast, Players Lounge, each and every Monday, pleased to have former Notre Dame wide receiver Chris Fink talking about the Notre Dame game against USC, 38-27. They go down the Coliseum. They fall to 8-4 in the season. Now we wait to see the matchup. Most people are projecting that they'll face Mississippi State in their bowl game. Um, not sexy. Is it the Captain Crunch Bowl or something? I, I don't know what it is. I'll tell you this. Mississippi State will challenge the offensive line because their defensive line is really good. Yeah. They have two NFL interior defensive linemen. So it's going to be a challenge for the Notre Dame offensive line, run, uh, offensive line and run game. It definitely will. I think it's, I think it's a great matchup that – you know, we need to win, but it's not going to be easy. I think this is a very scrappy team. Like you said, the D-line is, is and pretty much in the SEC anywhere. It's, it's going to be some real solid uh, intensity up there that's going to rattle some things, and, and it's a different look than going against a team like a SC, you know, or a team that we play on our schedule, like even a Clemson. Yeah. I think this is just a more aggressive D-line, which, you know, makes it, Makes it a, a good challenge for Marcus Freeman to end the season the right way. But it definitely is a, a game I probably will be checking in and out on. <laughs> so, Chris, I want to talk about something that I'm sure most Notre Dame fans would want to talk about. You had two first-time quarterbacks – oh, two quarterbacks that were going to be first-time starters, regardless of who won the battle in fall camp. And that's a learning curve. For any quarterback, I mean, it takes anomalies like Bryce Young to just step on the field the first time and just, you know, he had two great receivers. But, you know, just to step on the field and just automatically everything clicks and you're, you're, you're in New York, that's rare. So how was the wide receiver court impacted by Tyler's lack of experience early, then his injury, and then you get Drew coming in, and now he has to get his experience. And, of course, we saw Drew progress and have a really good game. You know, you can't say minus the turnovers because they were huge. But, you know, as far as passing, he showed himself very well in making plays on Saturday night against USC. And, not, and then you saw guys like Lorenzo Styles, um, Deion Cozy making catches as he comes back from his injury. Um, how does that relationship between quarterback and wide receiver, how are the wide receivers affected by having to deal with young guys trying to learn and get better as the season goes on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure how much people think it affects. It's probably less than what people really think. I mean, the playbook is the playbook and, and you have your routes and you have your assignments and, you know, the, the the goal for each play is the same no matter who's in a quarterback but I guess just a little nuances between it um, especially when you have like a quarterback competition going um, you get in grooves in practice working with one quarterback or the other um, who's seen you run this route a certain way a number of times and you know practice is only so long that you can't rep every play multiple times with every set of guys um, yeah. so you know, there could be little ways where guys got into rhythms where oh, me and uh, Tyler really gel on this play or like 
man, Drew's hit me on this route a couple of times. Like that's, that's clicking. And then, uh, you know, it's just not the same when you, when you go from guy to guy. And um, like I said, as receiver, it doesn't make a huge difference. Like I'm running my route the same way. Um, quarterback, I mean, Malik could speak more to this. Like it's a lot more difficult to, uh, to see all the guys and the way they do it. Cause looking at a guy run a route, like, I would run a route differently than Chase Claypool would run a route, but it's still the same route. So um, I think probably just the uh, the lack of the ability to have a totally established group because there are receivers, you know, coming in and out, playing more or less to a really established group, really getting the plays down, um, wrapping them over and over and over. And then the other thing is too with with two different quarterbacks. I mean, different things fit their skill sets well. So um, when you have like an established program, like uh, when, when Ian was rolling at the end of my time there, like we had plays, we knew Ian liked, we had plays, we knew we could work with him and, and with our receivers that, um, even a young guy coming in could see that and be like, all right, now I see how that's run. I see how, how I can fit into that. And, um, you know, it's harder when you have a lot of things to figure out and a lot of, uh, identity to establish based on different personnel. Now we saw the emergence of Deion Cozy. And for you, Lee, you can answer this. We know that every now and then Drew struggles to see in the pocket, specifically on over the middle of the field. But it seems like, you know, one of the things he loves to throw is back shoulder to Deion Cozy and that deep end that dig to Deion Cozy that was successful on third downs over the last three weeks. So the relationship between quarterback, like if you're a quarterback that struggles to see, is it better for you to have bigger wide receivers on the outside to be able to take those chances and take those throws, even though, like Chris said, they're running the same routes, right? But it, it was easy to see that once Deion Cozy came back and was healthy, Drew was comfortable with him. Now, is that just, you know, him having that relationship with Deion? Or is it the size and how that helps him to be able to see certain things, you know, going through the progression? Yeah, definitely. It helps when you have a bigger target because you can be at ease on being less accurate, especially if you're taking swings in the dark almost, you know. Yeah, you understand the concept of the play to where you know the, where the ball's supposed to be and the, pre -look, the pre-snap look gives you uh, that that clue that it'll be there, but mm -hmm. you still are, especially if you're not in the in the passing lanes of seeing it. You're you're taking a leap of faith, but you know if you can see a bigger target flash across the uh, the way for you in a Dion Cozy, you know just like it is for Michael Mayer, a bigger target with a lot of range. You 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 definitely are in a good pocket now with a guy that isn't as big. You know it's more about a timing standpoint and and being able to win on routes that you really know they can run well, which is a different kind of aspect. So uh, for guys that are like Fink almost, you know, if we're calling that post, we know the post is going to be there because in practice he's, he's killing guys on that post. And I know, and I can trust that it'll be there. So uh, I think it also that, that like Fink was saying, the relationship you have, with guys that you know when you go out there, okay, he's the best at doing X, Y, Z. And sometimes on third down, when you <laughs> when you back there and it's getting hot, you go to the guy that's running the best at X, Y, Z. And I think Drew understands that part of his game 
He's not uh, quite the playmaker that Caleb Williams is, but he knows that when in doubt, who to give a chance to, and Dion has worked in into that spot for him. So um, a lot of it is just the comfortability they have on knowing what they have best at, especially when it gets called from the office coordinator. Uh, you know, usually it's a, it's a conversation in the quarterback room. Okay, I'm calling this play because this person's going to be in there. And, um, you know, when it comes in the game, that's usually what happens. It's interesting because, like I said, as soon as Deion Cozy came back healthy, and that was – look, they were dependent upon him. And his injury late in fall camp was huge. Like, he was that big target, especially in the red zone for Tyler or Drew, that was going to be key. And you see the comfort that as soon as he got back in the mix and was healthy, you see the comfort Drew Pine immediately had with him and the rapport he had with him specifically on third down. So moving forward, inconsistency at the wide receiver position for the rep, for pretty much all year, what's the biggest thing that you see from the wide receivers that needs to improve, Chris? You know, it's really hard to say from sitting at home. And, you know, I'm, I'm not on the team. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I'm not at practice. Um, and the, another thing that really bothers me about watching football on TV is that you can't see the receivers. They just have the film on the box. So like I, I can't yeah. see routes that dudes are running. Like yeah. which is another thing is like, all right, it's pretty hard to be like super critical of receivers when you're watching on TV and you can't even see what they're doing until the ball's in the air. And you also right. don't know what the play call is and what the assignments are. I mean, there's so many little things that, that fans wouldn't know just from watching on TV. So with that being said, it's really hard to nail down what is an issue or what's not. Um, but I think from my playing experience and knowing what it's like to be out there, um, when you have kind of this wide rotation of guys, um, you know, like you said, Colsey coming in and out, Tobias Merriweather had that one game where he was getting targets. Um, you've got uh, Braden who's been in there a lot. You've got Lorenzo and um, Jaden. Um, so, so many guys, and really they've been flashing and, and dropping off a little bit here and there, you know, good games, neutral games, whatever. Um, it's just so hard to get in a rhythm when you don't really know what to expect in a game day. So, like, it, it's just such a comfort to be like, all right, I know, like, here's here's my plays today. Here's, here's my assignments today. Here's what the team needs from me today, as opposed to I think it can heighten um, – some some sort of like you know performance anxiety with like man like this is my one play that i've been repping all week in practice like i hope we run against the right look i hope i make the play today like so i, I just think it's easier once once guys can start making plays like guys have and, and can feel more comfortable and established in what they're able to do out there and and it's two-way street that goes with the coaches see them make those plays and i'm like all right i know he's he can make that play we'll, we'll go to him again on that or or we'll that'll open this up for him and um just with the uh, just with the wide rotation and and not really a fully established like like four guys who who have things that they can definitely do that they're trusted to do um, I think that can make it more difficult um, but it definitely is a learning process and and uh, it's been nice to see guys step up and make plays as the season has gone on uh, especially in the receiver room um, you know Braden's made some awesome plays the last couple of weeks. Colsey had um, a couple of nice plays Saturday, and and Jaden's been coming on as well. And Lorenzo's is is staying in it. So, um, 
like I said, hard to say exactly what, what it could be. Um, but I think that every guy will feel more comfortable once they have um, a better idea of what is expected from them every game. And I think, once again, the shuffle that went on, they lose two key cogs, right? Deion Cozy was expected to be vitally important to this team. They lose him at the end of fall camp, and then they lose the captain of the room, yeah, Avery Davis, who is you. You know the importance. Please explain offensively, from a quarterback standpoint and offensive coordinator standpoint, when you lose your guy, he was the yeah. slot guy. Yeah. Right. Look at Ohio State and their offense without their slot guy, <laughs> like, and not having that dependable guy in the slot and please explain to the fan base why Avery Davis even though he might not have been the most talented guy why having his leadership at that particular spot would have been huge especially for a young quarterback going into the season 100 percent 100 percent important because as a play caller too you know there's certain plays that you're calling just right on spot in certain situations because you know at least you're going to get a win from that slot position or that receiver that is going to allow, you know, Michael Mayer to be open as well. So there's certain plays where you're like, okay, go-tos in your mind on third down that you, you know, have repped throughout camp and that you're expecting to be the the, the go-to safe option for your quarterback. And I know, you know, a guy like Drew that's coming in as a backup, he's depending on those plays as well. So it does shuffle the deck on now you're limited uh, in, in who do you trust, you know, that aren't automatic wins. Like some plays are just automatic wins where it's like, okay, if we got 87, we got three in there, okay, I know we're getting at least five or at least we're getting the first down here when we call it. And finding that next guy to be comfortable with as a play caller takes a little time, but as a for a quarterback, I think – Tyler Buckner would have been in a different situation because the guys he depended on that were different. Avery would have played a different role in an offense uh, under Tyler Buckner, but Lorenzo Styles, on the other hand, would have been that go-to, which I think, Tommy, uh, we would have seen more of the, the relationship between Buckner and, and Styles uh, be more at play. And then how it you know, would have brought every everybody else in, especially Michael Mayer. But with Drew, it's just I think Avery would have been a huge uh, – huge impact uh, for, for Drew Pond, especially in freeing up Michael Mayer and giving the chance for uh, those young freshmen to fill in behind, like we've seen with Deion Coase. You played that position, Chris, in that slot, yeah. and you were vitally important on key downs, especially converting on third downs. Avery Davis was, you know, a very underrated loss going into this season, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing going along with what I just talked about with, with all the guys shuffling in, um, Avery Davis being in there, being the consistent, steady go-to guy takes a lot off of the shoulders of the other guys. You know, like when I was playing, um, I thrived in like a number two role. Like we had Boykin or Claypool, um, my senior year, fifth year, like, and I was, you know, defenses had to really spend most of their time devoting attention to him. And I could kind of sneak through the cracks every once in a while. And, and find a seam and, and get up and make plays. So when there isn't a guy like that in there, um, it kind of puts all that collective weight on all the other receivers' shoulders. And uh, like you said, it's just like a guy who's been playing that long and who has made so many plays and is comfortable out there, like has been out there for so long that it just feels like 
you know, just like practice out there to him. Like he doesn't even notice the crowd. He doesn't notice the atmosphere or anything like that. Like that's so valuable. And, and he can just kind of rep out what he knows how to do and, and move the chains third down. Like that's, that's so huge staying on the field and a guy like Avery would have been, would have been key to, uh, to balancing out Michael Mayer on, on plays like that. Absolutely. Lucky Lucky Podcast, as always, all our great content available right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify via CFD Nation in conjunction with Irish Breakdown. You know the Lucky Lucky Podcast. We spin it different. And we welcome in to the Players' Lounge our big bro, Cam McDaniel from down there, where everything is big, right, Cam? Everything's big down here, guys. <laughs> So we were talking about the uh, Chris. It's good to be on here with you, bro. Good to see you, Cam. Your overriding thoughts from what you saw on Saturday night. Oh man, Uh, that was just that was a little painful for me to watch uh, Caleb Williams do what he was doing to. Our defense, man, <laughs> that was that was man. tough. But the, the the dude's a dog, man. He's a player, uh, no doubt. And it's yeah. I think that I think for the Irish, I think uh, I was really impressed with Drew Pine overall. Uh, I, I tweeted something that made I think some people mad because I was comparing him a little bit. I said he had some Drew Brees vibes going on. And people are like, oh, that's over the top. And I'm like, dude, like his QBR is ridiculous right now. Like this is this is Drew's MO, like making those throws that he was making the other night. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, that was that was promising to see because to me, it kind of looked like, um, again, I always, I don't know why, um, uh, like when I think of Drew Pine, I think of Stetson Bennett a lot of times. Just, just maybe. I'm sorry, Malik. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just think I think of this kind of you know underdog story and of like a guy that you know everybody was really pulling for Buckner in in a lot of ways. And I just to see this guy like come in and to be able to have a game like he had tonight. I think. I think that was cool to see. Um, so I don't want to like overemphasize that. I can't stand behind that like with my heart yet. Like I'm just, I I was I was intrigued to see this conference. Oh, we lost Cam. Just signal. We lost Cam on that one. You you back, Cam? You you're back. My fault. Yeah. Uh, a healthy so, Tyler. Malik, I'm sorry about a that. A healthy robot. Tyler. Are you going with Tyler or Drew Pine to go into that game with if, if Tyler Bugner was healthy? Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dude, yeah, that's that's one that I, I feel like I don't know enough to be able to make that decision. Like I, me personally, Cam McDaniel, I don't know enough to make that decision. I don't know. I need to know the vibe of the locker room and who the guys are with, like honestly, because that's a big deal. Like you that know is, that's a big deal. That's a so, big deal. That's you know, big deal. just objectively like looking at things, like Tyler obviously has – these weapons and like attributes that seem just sexy and it's like yeah like that's the guy but Drew has something else that's kind of more intangible that I I can't help but like as a guy that uh in some ways has seen myself as an underdog at times in the like competition on the depth chart uh, I see that chippiness in him and so there's part of me that's like all right man like I see you can you can can you continue to develop that? Can you continue to step into this level of confidence that allows you to be the guy that may not be uh, that people think don't have like all the the maybe the same gifts or the same capacity, but you're coming in with something like a swagger that's undeniable, and that is where some of these guys that I think you know are undersized and have less of like the overwhelming flashy talent right out like right out the gate are able to come in and make an impression and i feel like that's kind of what i saw a little bit of uh against usc now there's the ability in like the next phase of that other than just throwing like you know 13 for 13 is taking charge of the game to where it's like your offense feels in control of the game and I don't know if we were ever quite there. You know what I'm saying? Like we were making it work and we were getting down the field, but the difference when the offense is in control of the game, and I think that us not establishing the running game like we typically do was a big part of that. I don't know what the heck Estime was doing sideline as much as he was, like with the like the production that he had, but that's a well, guy that, that I would have tried to get the ball to. I mean, running back like – yeah. There were reports after the game, Cam, that Estimate was dealing with a little bit of turf talk. Ah, ah, gotcha. What is gotcha. A, what's a little gotcha. bit of turf talk? Well, I didn't play the game, it's just, Chris. Just, it's just the top of the turf. <laughs> a little bit of turf toe, just the top of it. I'm bit. sorry. He was dealing with turf toe, and that's a big deal. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, excuse me for my Yo. media. A little bit it's of my like media coming out. Part. You guys are the player. You're right. There's no way I can put a little bit in front of Turf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can totally know and get back out there, bro. <laughs> uh, sounds vicious. 
But yeah, he was dealing yeah, with that. It's terrible. I've had it once. Chris. Might, have, really? might have impacted his uh, some of his reps. Got it. What is it. what is the biggest thing moving forward? Because look, the the twenty three class as Stat. it stands as it stands today, the twenty three recruiting class, which is about three weeks away from being fully committed, there are a few guys that they have to keep in the class, but more than likely. The ceiling is they'll be ranked third, and at the least, the floor will be they'll rank be ranked fifth or sixth, right? And they sit they sit at twenty five commits, thirteen on offense, twelve on defense, with a really good shot. And by me saying really good shot, I feel pretty much ninety percent confident that they're going to add and get up to twenty seven in this twenty three class, and they currently sit as the number one overall class in 24 already. And they have their quarterback, you know, in contrast to getting their quarterback just a week ago in the 23 class, which is important anytime you're trying to build a class. With what you've seen from Marcus Freeman and what you see in recruiting, how confident do you feel in the foundation that's being laid by Marcus Freeman in this program moving forward, all of you guys? Well, for me, I definitely I believe in what's being Open built, up. especially in a eight and four season where a lot of people could look at an eight and four season and, and and think this is going in the wrong direction. I think this is one of the few instances where I do see the potential in where this eight and four can be because of the fact that we had some key wins and the way we finished the season was better than how we started. And I like that the fact that uh Marcus Freeman is, is is really getting the kids to buy in. And that shows through the, the next two recruiting classes that we have. And it's something that, you know, I don't think if you wasn't trending in the right direction, those two recruiting classes, the 23 and 24, wouldn't look like how they are. For me, I, you know, I'm not, I don't pay that close attention to like recruiting. I mean, I see all the tweets and posts. We got four star this, what I, you know all these guys and that sounds great. So um, I'm sure that we'll get great players in like it's Notre Dame. We always get good players in. Um, the one thing that bothers me a little bit about fans and like recruits and stuff is like, it is so rare for a guy to come in as a true freshman and be what you're expecting him to be based on all this hype that surrounds a high school football player. I mean, high school football and college football are so different, and especially with social media, like people on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, all these message boards that, you know, we've got whatever linebacker in the game on Saturday nights who's doing pretty good, but they're like, oh, this dude stinks. Get him in the transfer portal. We got this high school junior or something. You know what I mean? Like, are, are you crazy? Like, that's a, that's the kid's like 16 years old right now. So, and the nature of college recruiting, like, you bring in like 27 recruits a year you know, multiply that by four, that's over a hundred scholarships. You get 85 scholarships per team. So we know we're going to miss on, you know, whatever, five players a class, whatever it might be more than that. And you, you want guys to transfer because if they don't, you're going to have too many scholarships. So just the expectation on every single guy to come in and be like the guy is, is so strange to me. And it kind of bothers me when a guy, you know, who, who, you know, like myself, I mean, I was a walk-on, but I didn't really come into my own until like my senior year. And I, you know, I, I did some pretty good things for the team, I think. 
And there are guys who did the same thing as me, but were on scholarship. And like, like Miles Boykin, for example, like dude's playing in the NFL still. Um, didn't really make an impact until the last game of his junior year and then had a really good senior year. And nowadays guys come in and they have a big name and hype surrounding them. And, um, you know, they're not the guy from freshman year on and people want to write them off. So get them out of here. We get a new high school kid in here. Like, I think there's something valuable in developing players once they're there. And I think coach Freeman will do a great job of getting the players who can develop into great players in the building and maybe the one-offs who will be great right away. But it does bother me when, when fans, you know, and they'll sing their praises too up until they get in the game and make one mistake. And that really bothers me because um, it yeah. really is a process. I mean, you can get so much better from your freshman year to your senior year. And a lot of guys have so shown good. that, and that's the nature of college football. Um, and it's really just kind of the rare one-off guys who are great right away. So, um, yeah, that's what I think about recruiting. And I think that Coach Rim will do a good job of getting the right guys in the building who can develop. And uh, and hopefully some guys who are good right away. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, yeah, to the same point that Chris brought up, uh, I would just say – we really got to focus on the transport portal. Like we just got to, um, and you got to be able to take the guys that don't fit in your program and find the guy that do, or the hidden talent that isn't being utilized and, and other teams out there. And you're coming in and you're bringing guys that have college experience with a year or two, or maybe even three left, um, of eligibility also have been baptized into the realm of college football. That's just a huge deal. I mean, I know the the head recruiting coordinator for Oklahoma is a good friend of mine. He used to work at Notre Dame and um, just as like super dude. And he's like, we're, we're focusing on the transfer portal, like period. Like it just, those guys have something that is different than bringing in these you know, virgin young bucks that ultimately you're rolling the dice on. Just like Chris was saying, like, you're going to miss on some of these dudes. Like the guys that want win, you know, Gatorade player of the year, like JT Daniels uh, may miss at USC and may miss at Georgia and may end up at a West Virginia finishing out, you know, his sixth year and get kind of lost in the shuffle there. And then may come back, may go back to the NFL and like have an opportunity. Like, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of this game. Um, and I, I feel like the people that are utilizing the transport portal well are the ones that we're seeing and that like they're in the playoff contention right now. Like they're the ones that have leveraged uh, the transport, the transfer portal and ways to bring in those key guys that you need. Um, I mean, just look at, Last week with USC, man. I mean, like, that's a perfect example of going and finding the guy that you need to bring all the ingredients together. The team, this team chemistry stuff and the team dynamics that uh, I've always talked about with you guys every time we come on here. Um, there's so many people out there, man. It's just, and so many people are missed because, I mean, just, just about, um, Sean, do you remember? Do you remember Priest Holmes? Yeah. The priest? Yeah. Okay. So, like, 
Priest Holmes sitting behind Ricky Williams, Heisman Trophy winner, the whole time he's at Texas, yeah. and he goes and becomes a franchise running back at Kansas City. I'm sure there's – I mean, there's a plethora of, exa- of examples we can use there. That's just one of my favorites of all time personally. Yeah. But this stuff happens all the time. I mean, my little brother is at SMU right now going through – I don't – but I think – I mean, he was one of the most talented running backs coming out of Texas and has hardly been able to see the field this year for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, political stuff or him not getting along with, the, like, his coach or whatever. But there's stories like that all around the country and you find those guys bring them in the ones that are the right fit for the culture that's the biggest thing if you can identify those guys and bring them in um i think that is going to be a huge key for notre dame next year being able to build off what they've done this year because this year to me has the vibes of 2011 like it almost played out exactly i don't know if the stars are aligned the same way or whatever but the zero and two start to the eight and four finish going, you know, and playing a really good Florida state and the champ sports bowl, you know, that year with a really talented team um, that ultimately ended up becoming a national championship contending team that next year, because of what was being built in the previous year. Um, And I feel like that's the type of energy that I feel around this team. Man. You point that out. Like, man, I guess you're right. I remember that. Like, that was when you guys had – that's when Aaron Lynch, it. they were like the babies on yep. the team. Yeah. And I remember that, yep. that recruiting class that got it started, kind of similar to, yeah, what Freeman did defensively in 22 with the guys he had. You might be right. Yep. It might be a good thing. I, I gave an early prediction that Notre Dame is going to go 11-1 and one next year. And for me, it's a caveat with – feeling like the quarterback situation is going to get solved. Yeah. They might go to the portal and and get a veteran. Yeah. To come in and compete with the other two guys. And then we have to sit and see. I'm interested as we get ready to get out of here. I thought (laughs) Drew Pine had an opportunity to solidify himself as the guy on Saturday night. Like, in my opinion, if he wins that game, on the road against Caleb Williams, it's really hard for that coaching staff not to decide on their own, but to look in the eyes of the players. Who the players will probably say, this this is our guy. Like, we rock with him. It's pretty hard to look at the players in that locker room and say, we're going to go in another direction. (laughs) It would have been really tough. And for me, that was the opportunity for Drew Pine to kind of solidify himself. Now I've seen it done. <laughs> yeah, to be that guy. And now I think it's going to be a true competition, you know, going into offseason, going into the spring. And who knows? They might bring somebody in in the transfer portal to add to the competition. Yeah. It, it should be interesting. Yes. Close us out, guys. Chris, um, just give us a synopsis of this season and the vibes it gave you and you know what you feel good about yeah well last thing i'll say going back to pine um because i haven't sung his praise yet i really like him i mean i met him i went back for a pro day and met him and got to work out with him a couple times like he is just a good dude and i bet he is the kind of guy who in the locker room like the dudes love he works hard and um 
just in my personal reaction to them, like I really like him. And you saying like he had the chance to be the guy after Saturday night, like I think you're probably right. And it's that's so hard because he played up until you know that pick at the end and he had the fumble, but like almost a perfect game, like into the, like the fourth yeah. quarter, and still didn't get it done. So it's I feel for him. Like it's so he he played his heart out and we didn't get the job done. But um, you know whatever Drew Pine um, ends up being at Notre Dame. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for him, um, and I know his teammates probably do as well. But, yeah, the, the season as a whole, um, like I said earlier, like it's so hard to keep going in the face of your national championship dreams are doused so early in the season. Um, so I just I just want to reiterate, like, kudos to the staff and the players for for bouncing back from, from that devastation. Like, you look at you losing to Marshall so early in the season and then uh, – playing a couple close games and losing to Stanford. Like it's so easy to let it go off the rails, start pointing fingers, start making big mistakes and just turn into, you know, the four and eight season that we had when I was at school and for them to be able to buckle down and beat Clemson and beat Syracuse and and hang on and turn this to eight and four after that start. um, I think there's a lot to build on there. And a lot of guys had to do some big things for that to happen. Cam. Yeah, I feel like um, I kind of said my piece on this a little bit. I Total vibes from 2011 to me, a lot of exciting things to work off of. Super exciting class that came in this year and made an immediate impact, especially on defense. I mean, you can't say enough about what Morrison has been able to add to this defense over the last you know, few games. Um, I was really hoping to see him come up big against USC. We needed him to come up big against USC. We needed our to come up big against USC in ways that ultimately uh, it's just hard to do with a guy like Caleb Williams having the type of night that he was having. But if we were going to win that game, we had to we had to come up with some more stops than we did. And so at the end of the day, like uh, who knows what that game looks like if our defense creates some stops and gives Drew Pine a little bit more breathing room. Um, that uh, that's just a whole different scenario, man. So ultimately, um, I know just listening to everybody out there and hearing everybody out there, people are ready to have like that dude at the wheel and at the helm at Notre Dame. That's just like has that swag and has that vibe of like, oh, shoot, we've got like almost like Tennessee for the first time getting Hinden Hooker and, and then feeling like, oh, we got a dude that we can win. Like we can go win this with and a guy that's like a potential Heisman candidate. And like, that's what everybody I know, like really wants deep down on, you know, Notre Dame nation. That's like uh, what everybody kind of asked for, but there's, I don't know, man, like there's something about Notre Dame that brings out uh, the absolute best in a player. If, like even just like being there on campus, like the spirit of Notre Dame, I know this is getting a little bit like ethereal, but this is the way that I roll. Um, Like there's something about that campus, man, that like it can pull out like this, this spirit of excellence in anybody in a way that I think is absolutely beautiful. And there's something to be said about the development process that happens, um, especially when you're at Notre Dame, Um, because when you walk in there, 
you are not the same person when you walk out. Your perspective has shifted so drastically from the core values that, you know, maybe you got instilled into uh, a small town kid from Texas to going into uh, a, a place like Notre Dame where there's really a global influence and your perspective has just opened up so drastically and your awareness has increase i tell everybody all the time all my athletes that i work with i'm like dude if you if you could add or like ramp up any attribute uh statistical category um and like it for your madden character or your ncaa character awareness would be the one that you want like all the way up to 99 and then from there you build on you build on those other characteristics but awareness overall translated into the game those are the best athletes on the field and I really believe that uh, Marcus Freeman is focused on developing and honing into a team that's aware of each other, aware of the tradition and the legacy of Notre Dame and really leveraging that from a recruiting standpoint and hopefully in the transport portal. Um, and then ultimately, you know, really coming down, like getting back uh, to this place. I think everybody – like nobody would be not intrigued by an opportunity to bring Notre Dame a national championship again. Like if you're a player and you get that opportunity um, to go to Notre Dame and potentially be a big part of helping those guys win a national championship again, I think that that's one of the most uh, appealing, appealing places that a player could possibly be looking to go in the whole realm of college football and we're now with Marcus Freeman, I think, and his kind of like genius ability to market from a recruiting standpoint, I think we're going to be able to start seeing some of these guys that people have been waiting for being brought into the team. And um, so I'm excited about next year. I, I think 11-1 is a great uh, – I think that's a that's probably a generous – not even just general. I think that's probably a good bet on like on what the season would look like next year. I think we could easily end up with a one loss, um, two loss at worst, and potentially an undefeated going into the playoff scenario. I think all those all those are definitely well. Yeah, and and that's because, as I said before, I do think take it away, Malik. <laughs> I think the quarterback situation changes next year. Elite, yeah, I mean, he definitely nailed it. I mean. <laughs> Definitely, man. I think um, I just want to see this man really find that that next level. I know it's hard because uh, we've been so close on edge. I just want to take us that leap. Just just jump off, you know. And uh, we have a great fan base that supports that. I think everybody included feels like we're on the verge. And I think Marcus Freeman is just the guy that can get it done for us. Lucky Lucky Podcast. Yeah. Left, this question is for you from one of our followers. Sean Rogers says, question for Lefty, who has more upside, Minchie or CJ Carr? Whoever the QC likes more. <laughs> I mean, look, they're both really good quarterbacks, man. Yeah. Chris, Chris did a fabulous job talking about recruiting and getting recruits in, man. Like, it's really up to the kids and the people that surround them, how good they can be. You know, you have unfortunate things like injuries that come into play. And you'll Whoever see. Whoever stays the healthiest 
Let's go. Let's go with it like that. You'll, well, you'll see. see. I mean, Minchie will have a year of experience in, in training over CJ Carr, so he'll be further ahead when CJ gets to campus, and they'll continue to battle for the next two years, and we'll see how it plays out. You know. Uh, thank you for the super chat, Mike Nolan. Thought the O line better than people saying. Pass pro versus SC very good. Didn't have many running plays. On D to three three five was no good. Yeah, early in the game, Al Golden, you know, deploying the three three five was confusing. Uh, they hadn't really done it all year. Thought he got a little cute. Roderick Blackman, thanks for the super chat. Just want to ask why is Kelly to blame for the quarterback room when Reese has been the quarterback coach for six years? I mean, the recruiting is a staff thing, and I, I think that's what Marcus Freeman has shown by saying I'm the lead recruiter. I can't ask my staff to do things that I'm not willing to do. So as the head coach, I'm the lead recruiter on every recruit. And he set that standard. And I think you don't have things fall through the cracks maybe in a certain position room. And it's not so much like people can have their thoughts on Ian Book from either way. Like, yeah, he's the winning this quarterback but he might not be in the top five all-time quarterbacks at Notre Dame. Like, or he might not be the guy that can get you over the top as a quarterback against top-notch teams. Yeah. We're not here to debate that. Has Notre Dame struggled to develop at that position? That's fair. I won't push back on that. Have they been able to develop a guy that can be that guy Okay, if that's the direction you want to go, fine. It starts in recruiting. They have two guys in this class and Minchie in the 24 class and Carr that have the makeup to be those guys. But <laughs> we'll see. Like Chris pointed out, they have to come in. They have to develop. They have to play. But not only that, they have to be guys that can galvanize the locker room and get guys to follow them. And as Cam pointed out, then they have to make you feel like that they have control and the offense has control of the game. That's what you're looking forward to seeing with under Marcus Freeman and his coach. Yeah. And just, just to speak on that, just to speak on that too, like I, I'll be super quick. Um, I personally know a quarterback that was one of the top ranked quarterbacks in the country a couple of years ago that loved Tommy Reese and loved Notre Dame, but didn't go to Notre Dame because of another reason. So, and I won't say what that reason is, but. We can uh, guess, we can pretty yeah. much guess what the other reason is, but. So, so just, just, just to like, just to let you know, like there is, there's an element, I mean, and Malik can speak to this. Um, I would tell any QB that's getting recruited at this point, I would say, talk to the QBs that are there and see it, see how they like the head coach. See how they like respond to him. See how they like, do they really want to play for him? Because ultimately if you're a quarterback coming in to basically be the CEO of the team, like when you're on that field, you, you are the CEO, like you're out there, like running the game, like you're running the gamut. You got to have a good like president or like manager at the helm that's there to support you. And ultimately um, that's, that's what I think these guys are kind of looking at and, uh, yeah, man. I think that Marcus 
has a vibe that ultimately is going to bring in the right guy. That's just my hunch. Our last super chat, another one from Mike Nolan. Mike, we appreciate you, my man. First two drives, key miss assignments, tight end miss block on jet sweep, three and three, pine, third and three, I'm sorry, pine miss running back wide open, swinging left. See also miss center, also miss block. Look, like Chris pointed out, like there's a lot you can say watching TV. I will say this I actually saw the uh, jet sweep you're talking about. I think it was a miscommunication on the play. Because if you look the way the tight ends reacted on that play, as they were stacked to the right of the line of scrimmage and how the offensive line blocked, I think most people thought it was a run to Aldrich Estimate to the left because the tight ends just took off up the field. Right. They just took off. So for me, that's not a misassignment. That's just miscommunication on what we're doing. Right? Because if you're running jet sweep, there's no way the tight ends are taking off yeah. up the field. So there was some type of miscommunication there that happened to ultimately led to uh, things going downhill. Chris, Cam, man, we thank you guys so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. And as always, we'll stay connected to you guys and have you guys back on the show as soon as we can. As you can see in the chat, Notre Dame fans love hearing from you guys. And we love having you on. That's right. Love you guys. All right. Notre Dame fans, that was Chris Fink and Cam McDaniel joining us on the Players' Lounge. and. Um, yeah. Hopefully they made you feel good, Irish fans, about what's to come. I mean, it is what it is. We're going to save Petty Train for a little bit later. Six o'clock, players only, hosted by Malik Zaire with a plethora of Notre Dame players to talk deeper about transfer portal, NIL, what needs to happen moving forward in this season and what's to come. So you can catch me right now. Going to talk recruiting with Ryan Roberts over at Irish Breakdown. And Lefty will be back at 6 p.m. Central with his cast of characters later on the Players Only Show right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Have a great day. But most of all, make sure you spin it. 